The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they manage to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive Podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. You know who we are at this point, right, John? I think everyone knows who the hosts are. I hope so. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing Julie, Zach, and Julie and Zach Ertz and relationships. Small caveat, we are not relationship gurus, okay? Nope. Um, do you ever do any couples work? Uh, I have in the past. Um, I don't yes. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Not a coincidence that neither of us do that kind yeah. of work anymore. I, I think no. when when you're first a therapist, obviously, I think it's important to try to get well rounded, you know, and yeah. try, um, you know, to do your best work in a couple different areas and see what you because you never know what you're really going to be great at or where you're going to like until you start doing it. Uh, so I definitely, and I think it's a tendency of most young therapists to kind of bite off more than they can chew and try to help everybody. everybody. You know, the goal when you get into the field is to, how can I help as many people as possible? And you think about that much too literally, I think, in the beginning. It's like, I'll, I'll just do everything because mm-hmm. I'll, I care about helping people. So I should be able to. And you realize quickly that you really have to focus on the stuff that, that moves you, you know, that you're, again, we talk about purpose development, you know, what, what taps into your purpose, what you're best at and, you know, what you feel most comfortable working with because it allows you to be the best at your job, which ultimately allows you to help the most people. Mm-hmm. And if you try to do work with different topics or issues that you're you know, either not passionate about or that are stressful to you or that you're not good at, it doesn't make you a very good therapist. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, from, from my perspective with couples work, I don't know. It just To me, it seemed like the majority of couples that come in come in far too late. And and to me that was very demoralizing. I just felt like this yeah. is not where I'm going to do my best work. So Agreed. we're not couples gurus, but um, we are you know licensed mental health therapists. So we we know about what makes relationships work and what tends to not make them work or make them destruct. We know about the role communication plays in these kinds of things. Um, so we have we have an awareness about that. We're also happily married guys, and mm-hmm. I think it's uh, you know it's it's a topic you know healthy relationships. It's a topic that, you know, women often talk about a lot. Guys aren't always as good at talk about that. So we're, we're here to kind of, you know, show that guys can talk about this yep. stuff. And it's really, really important. So the topic of relationships is also important because we have discussed how when it comes to how we choose the topics for these episodes, you know, we try to cover mental fitness. We try to cover mental health. We try to cover mental illness. Some topics span all three of those things. And I think relationships are clearly one of those because human beings – we thrive on human connection. Mm-hmm. We really do. Um, so much so that research has shown if you are isolating um, you know, and lonely, uh, isolation and loneliness actually shortens your lifespan. Yeah. Uh, that has been shown through a lot of different um, you know, uh, examples of research. So that should say – that should speak volumes to the people listening. Relationships are really important and they're hard. It's not, especially intimate relationships with a partner. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, friendships are hard too, but intimate relationships with a, with a partner or a spouse – are not easy. Um, you know, you spend a lot of time with that person and you know their ins and outs and they know yours and there's going to be bumps in the road and it, it's hard and it takes some certain skills that maybe we're not always born with and that's what we hope this episode can help with. So, right. um, 
Quick bio, Julie Ertz. Uh, so we're talking about the Ertz, the Ertzes today. I guess that would be the plural version yeah. of that. That's a tough one. <laughs> Doesn't exactly roll off the tongue no. as a podcast host here. So Julie Ertz is an American soccer player for the Chicago Red Stars of the National Women's Soccer League. She also played on the U.S. women's team for the 2015 and 2019 FIFA World Cups. Zach Ertz is an American football player. He plays tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, shout out to the worst fans of all sports. Go get some Wooder. Um, he has never won a Super Bowl, contrary to proper belief. I refuse to believe that, oh, that ever okay. happened. You're just, yes, that you're, didn't. You're denial, just gonna okay. Denial, sure. straight denial. We're just gonna move mechanism. right. I'm omitting that that you ever happened. You got it. We'll never. Go, we'll blow never, right by that. Blow right by. It. Never took yeah. place. Um, some interesting facts to mention. They actually met in college. So she went to Santa Clara in California. He went to Stanford. Mm-hmm. They met at a baseball game in 2012. He offered her some sunflowers. <laughs> like, I've heard of pickup lines, but like offerings just like, do you want some sunflower seeds? That is, uh, it's all timer. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's classic. It, it's subtle and yet clearly worked. I mean, maybe Zach Ertz knows something that the rest of us don't because mm-hmm. that is awesome. First date, Chipotle. Mm. Johnny, you a Chipotle fan? Oh, yeah. I am too. Any any other places like that that you rank above? Ooh. Like, what are they? Qdoba. Qdoba. Anastakaria. See, that's local. And Anastakaria okay. is great. But yes. In terms of like national? No. Nah, Chipotle is kind of the top, right? Yeah. Um, and they're, st- I don't know if you've seen their stock prices. It's like mini Amazon. Like, I couldn't <laughs> I believe it one time. I looked at them like, that can't be the state. Is this some other like pharmaceutical company? Yeah. Like, it's up there with Devlin McGregor. So um, they're married in 2017. Mm hmm. And they're so again. We focus on a charitable organization that that each athlete, or the, these in this case, uh, married athletes, kind of focus on. They have the Ertz Family Foundation, so it can be uh, you can go to the website ertzfamilyfoundation.org. Um, they focus on providing opportunities for youth, youth sports, education, and family. Those are kind of like their three pillars yeah. uh, of service. That and I think they they really focus on like you know um, disadvantaged communities, communities that really need those things uh, yeah. more. So we're going to get into the, you know, our takeaways about them, uh, uh, you know, as athletes and as a couple. The uh, first one is, like, I think they might be the biggest sports power couple of all time. And I'm not talking, like, one of the people in the couple is an athlete. Like, obviously, that would probably be Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. No big deal. And, yeah. and Giselle. But in terms of, like, both people being athletes, I think they're probably at the top. I know Nomar and Mia Hamm is another one that kind of comes to mind. That's up there. That's up there, right? There was uh, Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf. Was mm-hmm. I don't think they're no longer together. So maybe that's... I don't like, know. Maybe yeah. we can, you know, we're going to get into why that could have happened sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so right, I'm going to kick it to you. What were some of your takeaways about the Ertzes? Um can we just call them Ertz? The Ertz. The Ertz the, the family. Ertz. Okay. That, the yeah. Ertz's sounds yeah. so funny. Um, <laughs> I thought that they were – it was really fun to like watch them interact with each other. And it was surprising that they seemed – like they had such a comfort with one another mm-hmm. um, because I think they shared that like a one year they spent like 60 days together, like total, which is incredible yeah. uh, that they were able to sort of sustain that. And that's a part of like what helps their – like their we, I mm-hmm. guess, or the, the two together that they can sustain that long distance. Yeah. Now that takes a lot of work. Um, but they had some pretty, cons- like a lot of consistent things that kind of went through a lot of the interviews that they've done. They talk a lot about faith and a lot about sacrifice and a lot about like future planning. Mm-hmm. And those are some of the things that kind of came up of like, you know, when I, when I think of relationships and some of the conversations that I have with people, um, that I, you know, you go from an I to a we, mm-hmm. um, and you know, you, it's all about me. What do I need? What do I need to do this? All about these things, and then it becomes 
and then you're introducing another part of you, which is this we. Yeah. Um, like, what are we going to be doing together? What do we need? And it's a different conversation. And I think that a lot of times, like, finding the balance between I and we is important. You don't, like, forget that you're an individual and just a part of that. Um, and they seem to really have a good foundation for that. Like, that, you know, they understood that the sacrifice for the I was that they were going to be doing their individual sports. Um, but then when they were coming together, they were able to, like, really prioritize and capitalize on like the we and mm-hmm. they've talked a lot about like life after athletics and that future planning piece yeah. and those are some of the things that really stood out to me because i thought that those were really they clearly have a good foundation of communication um because there's lots of things that they have to navigate as both pro players but also just people in like public spotlight yeah. that other people don't have to yeah. and clearly they have a good foundation for communication mm-hmm. to be able to like have those conversations and watching them like aside from the fact that they're super cute together uh was like a really like a was really great to see them have like good mm-hmm. like real conversations with with each other which was great no i agree that the i versus we is a great point because it is it's so so hard to balance those two things i mean i think mm-hmm. most people struggle and are either on one side or the other too much right they're either right. too i focused and they're not really feeding the relationship enough right or they're too we focused and they're their identity is tied into them, uh, their their you know spot in that couple, right? And you can't really you got to have a balance of both in order for it to sustain because you, the second you both just become all about yourselves as a couple, you're not growing on an individual level, and you really do have to. I mean, you have to grow together, but you have to grow individually and keep pushing yourself to do that on a on a singular standpoint mm-hmm. because it actually does help keep the relationship fresh. I think mm-hmm. that's because you know relationships can get stale over time if you're not growing individually and together. And obviously, focus, focusing on some other healthy relationship aspects like communication and things we'll talk about, yep. things will kind of start to go in a, into a bad direction. So I think mm-hmm. that's a great point. Um, and you also brought up like future planning. I think that's all about like, you know, forward momentum, right? Obviously, being mindful and present in the moment is key. But having some things really looking to the, to the short and long term together mm-hmm. I think both keeps you grounded and keeps you optimistic about where you're heading together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The optimism is, is huge. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So that, yeah, the distance also, you mentioned that, that really stood out. Like they, on average, spend about three months together in the same city per year. Uh, that's not a lot. Distance is so difficult for couples to, to I mean, for, on, for obvious reasons, right? You need mm-hmm. to cultivate the relationship. You need to feed it. Uh, if you're not around each other, it's hard to do that. So clearly that's a reflection on them as a very, very strong couple. You have to have a really good foundation and have all your ducks in a row and be healthy as individuals and within the couple to keep a relationship in a healthy place when you're only seeing each other for a quarter of the year. Right. That's not easy. Um, so kudos to them. That's impressive. Um, they're clearly each other's biggest fans, which is awesome. You know, it's like they, they want to see the other one succeed as much as possible. And we're going to get into, you know, we're going to get into four kind of things that ruin a relationship. And so this relates to that because not everyone's like that in a relationship. Sometimes mm-hmm. when they're, when their partner is doing well, they get self-conscious. And this is why it's especially important for people to understand why they get into a relationship. If you're not in a good place personally, if you don't, if you can't drive your own happiness, it puts you at risk to really uh, get defensive or do certain things when you're, when your um, partner is succeeding or achieving goals and you might not be, it, it, it can lead to some issues. Mm-hmm. They're clearly like, totally in support of each other and mm-hmm. i just you can tell it doesn't really matter to them as individuals uh, if they don't accomplish any of their own goal like they are there for their partner to really like achieve the highest level that they want to which is awesome mm-hmm. um the other thing that came out was the 
uh, the F3 method, which I don't know if it's theirs or if it was the columnist that wrote this, but it was just friendship, faith, and focus. And I think that the the Ertz wanted to add the family as a, as a fourth, clearly, because family is important to them. But friendship is the one that kind of stands out to me because I think I would encourage any, any young person, especially listening to this, um, when you are trying, you know, you don't know who your lifelong partner is going to be if you're going to have one when you first start dating somebody. But I would caution people to focus on the fact that like attraction, especially physical attraction, is only one piece. If you really want to be in a sustaining relationship, you, you have to be best friends with that person. You have to at least evolve into best friends with that person because mm-hmm. of what it, just the, the nuance of a relationship and how much time you spend around each other. Right. It can't be about – you have to have that foundation of friendship for it to be there. Now, it can't just be that. But that, in, t- in my opinion, has to be there for it to be a long, sustaining relationship or else you're going to run into this problem. So I think when people are trying to assess whether a person is right for them, which is a hard thing to do, I think the, the level of, you know, could this person be my best friend mm-hmm. is a very important question to ask yourself. Because I think if that answer is yes, I think it can make you feel very optimistic that this might be the right person. You know? Yeah, I agree. I think oftentimes our insecurities lend to like, am I doing enough for this person or am I doing mm-hmm. enough for this? And I, I, th- I find myself having conversations like, are they doing enough for you? And is this an actual friendship that you have? And like you said, it's 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 definitely one of the, the pillars of, of any type of long-term relationship is you don't enjoy being around that person they don't enjoy being around you yeah why would you want to have a long-term relationship with that person you need that person to be 100 percent vulnerable with to be trusting with Mm -hmm. to have hard conversations with happy conversations with that's like that's that's the joy of the relationship is having somebody that you get to do all of that with yeah no absolutely and i think this we're going to kind of segue now into like just the topic of healthy relationships in general because i know you got uh you want to talk about love languages a little bit i'm going to start by talking about um you know four things uh that that tend to ruin a relationship so this is from an article by Kristen rocco it's on uh lovenotary.com i'm going to put a a link to this in the show notes and it kind of references what are called the four horsemen by dr john gottman of the gottman institute and he you know i haven't delved into the research to really pick apart, you know, how legitimate this is. But mm-hmm. I, I believe it, that that these four things um, that ruin a relationship predict divorce 90% of the time, Wow, which is really high. And it makes sense. So we're going to go through them. I'll just name the four quick and then we'll kind of get into each one a little bit and also what to do instead of, of you know, if, if this kind of thing is happening. So the four horsemen, so to speak, are <laughs> criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. I'm going to get into each one a little bit. So criticism, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, but it's kind of like a you know a global attack on faults, mistakes, a person's personality, their character, that kind of thing, right? So it's often kind of the same things that we see with like CBT, or cognitive behavioral therapy, sorry for the jargon, and individuals, right? So like oftentimes when a person is dealing with depression or anxiety or low self-esteem, they self-label, right? They label themselves as stupid or lazy yeah. or fa- a failure or worthless, or they jump to conclusions like, I always I always fail at these things, or right. I can never keep a relationship, or I, I can't succeed in anything. Yeah, right? generalized to every experience. Totally generalized, and they jump to those conclusions. People, with this kind of criticism, people do that in relationships. A lot, and spe- for the same reasons that they criticize themselves, often because they're struggling on a personal level, uh, they will attack and uh, verbally attack and criticize their partner, and it just erodes openness and trust, right? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you are constantly harping on your partner, constantly picking apart faults, constantly calling into question their character, they're not going to trust you. And if you don't have trust, you don't have anything in a relationship, and they're not going to be open with you. And if you can't be open with your partner, there's no way for that relationship right. to sustain. So it makes sense why criticism would be a, a, a massive problem. Next one is contempt. 
So that's kind of where like one person, one partner sees themselves as superior to the other one. Um, So apparently that's the worst of the four, Mm -hmm. um, which kind of makes sense, sense. right? If you don't consider yourself equal with the person that you're in a relationship with 50-50, that's a huge problem. It's going to lead to some issues down the road, Uh, probably not too far down the road. (laughs) Third one, defensiveness. So that's, you know, again, pretty self-explanatory. You're taking things personally and you're blaming the other person instead of taking responsibility for your role in things. Most, not all, but most arguments or, or disagreements or, or discrepancies in a relationship are a balance of both people. It's never, it's almost never like just one person. Um, so it's important. And even when it is, I think you ha- all you can do is control for yourself. So you mm-hmm. have to be able to not take things too, to, uh, you know, not get too defensive or take things too personal. Personally, you have to look, instead kind of take responsibility for your role in the situation. So that's defensiveness. And the fourth one is stonewalling. So stonewalling is kind of like, you're refusing to provide answers or you're delaying replies. It's kind of like game playing, I guess, is the best way to um, to describe it. So, yeah. you know, you you're, you just refuse to engage. No couple is perfect and every couple is going to have issues and those issues have to be discussed. They have mm-hmm. to be worked through together. You have to compromise. Um, you have to hear each other out. And you have to really listen, um, you know, give before you get kind of thing, yep. right? I really understand where the person's coming from. If you refuse to engage and you just kind of put up that stone wall, it's going to lead to massive issues for for understandable reasons. And usually, the stonewaller is someone who is overwhelmed, so they kind of short circuit a little bit and just avoid, right? So, right. as for people who avoidance is like their their coping strategy, they get overwhelmed with emotion in the moment, and boom, just like uh, almost like a circuit breaker kind of goes off, mm-hmm. and they just they they do not do that. So, it's okay, you know. So, I'll start with that in terms of solutions. We'll kind of start with stonewalling and work our way back up the list yeah. from four to one. You know, avoidance does not resolve issues. It's okay to take time. Right. You know, different people. I know I'm the type. Guys tend to be like this, paint with a broad brush. I'm the type where if if we get, if my wife and I get in an argument, I kind of want to handle it quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. I like to just handle things, move past them. Right. But not everybody's like that. I think a lot of people um, need more more than an hour and more than a day sometimes. And that's fine. Taking time is a good thing. But you have to be respectful during that time. I think that's where couples go wrong a lot of times is that when you need space, you can still treat that partner with respect. If you treat them with stonewalling, passive aggressiveness, you know, rolling of eyes, shortness, uh, that kind of stuff, that's not actually – that's not the same as just taking time to collect your thoughts, right? It's punishment. Yeah, it's punishment. Exactly. <laughs> during the time you're taking. So mm-hmm. I think it's about if you need time, take the time, but don't punish the partner during right. the time you need. Um, let's see. So, so that's the suggestion for stonewalling. Um, for defensiveness – we kind of want to manage expectations um, or perfectionism, right? And use empathy as a filter, right? So when someone is, is even if they are creating the first uh, kind of violation of criticism, we don't want to take that too personally. We want to make sure that we view it through the lens of empathy and say, what are they going through? Because a lot of times it's because they're in, in a, an emotional place sure. and they may be compromised emotionally and they just need a little bit of support. So instead of taking it personally as an attack, Let's try to view it through the lens of like, why would they be saying that? What are they going through? How can I be there for them a little bit? That tends to help um, a little bit. Uh, Also, when you manage expectations for yourself and perfectionism, then you're okay with with being with making a mistake. So if a partner kind of says like, that wasn't okay, you did this, you're not going to get defensive because you don't expect yourself to be perfect. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, you know what? You're right. That was not fair to me. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, in criticism, I think when it's done in a specific way, it can be unhealthy, but you can always give. I constructive guess, criticism, constructive yeah, criticism yeah. Yep. right of like this didn't work well for me because if you can't highlight problems in relationships totally. and you can't yep. have those arguments to sort of progress and grow yes. then you can 
then the whole relationship is stonewalled, yes. right? And then, yes. and then there's no movement or growth. And that's that's the biggest part of it. And we, we'll get into communication as just in general. But um, like all of these things, I guess contempt is definitely not one that's like an acceptable piece. But like mm-hmm. criticism within guidelines is yes. okay. Defensiveness, when it happens, it happens. Everyone gets defensive. You just have to do the work to identify that why are you getting defensive yes. yep. um, and do the work to go through that. And then with the stonewalling too, like you said, I'm definitely on the other end of like, it takes me a little bit longer to process like arguments. And so it, like if something is coming to me, I I do tend to get a little bit defensive in the mm-hmm, moment. Mm-hmm. And I know for me that if I try to have a conversation while defensive, it's not going to go well. Yeah. And it's going to end up in some total other direction. Yep. And so I'm like, give me a second. Yeah. Right. Yep. But then to your point too, you have to be then respectful during that yes. time yep. because then it, then it's just like, well, I'm not ready to talk to you and I'm going to make you hurt while mm-hmm. I'm, while I'm taking my time because then it becomes sort of like a different dynamic and maybe gets into that contempt piece too. So, um, sorry. To just no, no, it, yeah. you bring up a great point too, because I think it's, it's about trying to find that line between like, uh, criticism and silence, right? Because it's like, <laughs> you do have to be constructively critical of the things that they need to know that didn't work or, or that they can improve on. Cause that helps them individually and it helps you as a couple. Right. Um, and so I think I can see people being on either side of this where they're either way too critical and labeling, right. With the, some of those, uh, you know, name calling, that's not productive, but avoidance of, of yeah. things that need constructive criticism is also uh, a very bad thing. Yeah. What, what comes to mind is like, you know, if you've ever met a couple or you heard stories of couples who like, never fight sometimes that can be okay i guess like there are, there are couples out there that never fight but in in general i i always kind of have a red flag that goes up if i if i hear that because to me it says that one or both people are avoiding talking about necessary things that will actually help them grow yeah um i i think that that has to happen in most relationships that you're going to have yeah. constructive conversations mm-hmm. where you have to highlight the things that may need to be tweaked a little bit and if you're avoiding that you're going to cost yourself uh, big time. Yeah, I think in the moment too, and I've been certainly guilty of this, like something will happen or your spouse or partner will do something and you're like, ah, whatever. It's like not a big deal, right? And in the in those moments, you're just like, ah, okay, whatever. Like I can let that one go. And then if you, but if you don't, that's sort of like an avoidance piece. Yeah, and maybe yeah. sometimes you're like, all right, whatever. But if that's your go-to strategy, then you get to a point where then you are now, you can no longer do that mm-hmm. anymore. And then that tends to leave potentially of like, you know, you get into an argument about something over here, but then all the stuff that you haven't addressed previously yep. gets brought up, and now all of a sudden you're not talking about what you originally talked about. Mm-hmm. And I find that that happens a lot of times. And um, when I hear people having like disagreements or arguments, they're like, "Yeah, we started fighting about the fact that he did this, but then we ended talking about this, and I don't know how we got there." And then it's always like, "Well, did this happen previously, and mm-hmm. you didn't you didn't bring yeah. it up, and why?" And and then you can get into some really like intricate detailed conversations you bring up a great point here and this actually relates back to the last episode when we were talking about your book and how a a big part of um the book that that john co-wrote is called coaching zone and it's uh you'd mentioned that a huge part of that book is about instructing coaches you know how timing is very important when it comes to you know delivering information to an athlete right and parents violate this all the time right right after the game right after the bad play that's when they choose to talk about it and it's not very good. I think couples, there's examples with couples with this where the, like the co- most common mistake I see with, with couples. And again, I don't work with couples anymore, but I work with a lot of, you know, young guys who are in a relationship. Yep. And the biggest mistake I see them kind of describe is that they have something that they want to discuss constructively with their partner. And the thing they say in the back of their head is like, well, yeah, but things are going well right now. So I don't want to ruin it. 
And that it's got to be the opposite. Like, mm-hmm. because things are going well, that's the best time. Now, you still want to plan with them and say, mm-hmm. when's a good time to sit down and discuss this? And some couples even do this proactively. Once once a week, maybe once a month, they will have a, a time that they set aside to discuss what's going well and what's not, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like a tune-up. Not every couple has to do that. Right. But I think if whether you do that or not, if you decide there's something you think you need to address with your partner, it's really important to go to them when things are good and say, hey, when can we sit down? You know, pick a day. I usually advise picking a day on a weekend, you know, or when things are low key for that person's schedule right. to say, let's talk about now because that's when the person's going to be most receptive. Yeah. If you don't do that, what ends up happening is you wait and it festers and then you wait till they trigger you in some kind of way <laughs> and then you do the whole like, I've been meaning to tell you about yeah. this because you this, always do You this. always do it, right? Yeah, and that's yeah. like, it's going to come out at the worst possible time <laughs> because your delivery, yeah. they're not going to hear the point you're making they're mm-hmm. going to hear i'm being attacked yeah and that's it and, and then so they're going to go to what's my rebuttal how are you wrong yes. how yep. do i protect myself yep. and they've stopped listening totally totally yep. and so it relates to your book because just like coaches or parents timing when it comes to constructive conversations really really important yeah, yeah. i agree um so that those are the um you know we, we didn't do a solution for contempt because i don't know that there is one this uh, is a tough I, one we're like if you're the one who's the you know where your partner is really like seeing themselves as superior to you all you can do is really control for yourself you can try to focus on strengths try to see things 50 50 and advocate for yourself mm-hmm. but ultimately it's not a good sign if that's happening and i can't say like you have to get out of the relationship but that the other person needs to do a little bit of work to even those things out i agree if you're the person who thinks you're superior <laughs> chances are you're not going to listen to a damn thing i'm going to say on this podcast so right. um, exactly. that's probably going to have to work out the way it's going to yeah. have to work out unfortunately so those are the four um, the four things that can ruin a relationship: criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. We'll put a link to that article. Um, there's a there's a lot of t- of articles like this out there. So I'm sure you could find like a 37 things that ruin relationships <laughs> and whatever. But to me, a lot of those are kind of fluff, they're repetitive, and mm-hmm. maybe a little bit too uh, neurotic when it comes to some of the things mm-hmm. in those articles that are like really extensive. This one I've always liked because I've, I've actually returned back to this for years because it really just it, it captures the four most important things. Again, those four horsemen that really tend to, to um, kind of destroy relationships. So that's that. We're going to get into uh, what's called the, the five love languages, which I know you use in your work with clients. Yeah. I've definitely used this a lot too. So I'll, I'll kick it to you to kind of intro. What, what does that mean? What are the five love languages? Yeah. So it's a book written by Gary Chapman. I recommend it to anybody. Uh, and I'll tell you why in a minute but um so he goes in and talks about sort of the five love languages of how you can both how you yourself would want to receive mm-hmm. love and how you can then reciprocate it to, to other people as well and he, so the the five are affirmation quality time physical touch um acts of service and receive it in like gift giving um so talks about those are the ways that people like to be shown that they're loved and so affirmation sort of like just hearing the words like i love you or i care for you or those types of things like having that sort of affirmation is so one way that people that lets them know that they're cared for quality time so like just physically spending time with people um and being in the same place and doing that another one physical touch doesn't necessarily need to be like intimate it could be just holding hands it could be whatever um acts of service so might be cleaning the house doing the dishes making taking care of the kids mm-hmm. anything right it could be anything and then you know gift giving as well or receiving gifts too so those are the five that he breaks down i think that uh, how i usually how i read this book and how i describe it to other people is that one of the things that we you know without learning about this type of stuff or exposing yourself to this type of stuff you we tend to reciprocate love how we want to receive totally, it. Yeah. So 
Um, you know, I think if, which if we, might not be what the partner wants, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think that that leads to disconnect, totally. um, and leads to a lot of times to frustration because yeah. in your head, you're like, I'm doing everything that I should be doing. Why are you not feeling this way? Um, <clears throat> or so, why are you not showing me love? Cause again, why, right. <laughs> the, the partner might be showing love in the way that they prefer to receive it. And so in their mind, they're like, well, I am showing love. And then the person, the other person is like, right. why am I not getting it? Right. Because they... They're not speaking that same love language. And I, no other thing when it comes to helping individuals and couples in the past, right? In my opinion, no other thing unlocks sort of the aha, like, yeah, for, for people, the aha moment when it comes to like what is serving as a barrier for their, like, the health of their relationship. When you describe this, these kind of things to people and you make sense of how the their partner may be delivering in the way that they want to receive and they're doing the same it totally clicks for people and they're like, that explains everything. You know yeah. what I mean? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And so that, that aha moment that you speak of is yeah. perfect, perfect example of what usually happens because when you, when you have that conversation, it's like this, Oh yeah, shit. I wasn't even thinking about that. Yep. Um, and it starts to, it totally shifts the perspective um, of things to go. I, I actually like giving this type of book um, to like, you know, older high school and college aged kids as well. Not necessarily just people in like relationships, because I think it helps them to broaden their perspective of like, how do I not only just show love, but how do I show respect and helping mm -hmm. them understand of other people need different things than I do. Yeah. And I think that was one of the major, one of the biggest takeaways that I got from that. And I think it's a, it's a quick read. It's super simple. Um, and I recommend it to anybody to that's looking to learn more about it. Um, but that, that piece was I found I used to find at least when I was when I was doing couples work, that was one thing that was really hard. That what you brought up that point of like I don't get why she's this or I don't understand why he's that. I'm doing all of these things and I'm not getting any credit for mm -hmm. it or whatever. And it was like, well, you're not communicating love in the way that he's wanting to hear it or yeah. what, the way she's wanting to feel it. And so that this this really really helped to open up people's perspectives to like what it looks like and that people need different things and what you want and also it helps to helps going through these types of things a lot of people never really like the the topic of love is not like a let's go to love 101 in yeah. our class today right like you don't there's they don't no teach that in school they don't teach yeah. that in school um and and one part, it's kind of a shame because I think it. I think there's a lot of people that would have some good growth from being able to like talk about these things. Um, it's especially funny. early on. I mean, I think yeah. I think to like how many issues this would prevent. Now, yeah. sometimes you got to go through, especially early in life, you got to go through relationship challenges to develop as a person and eventually find the right person. Yeah. But I do think a lot of problems could be prevented if people were educated about this stuff early on. I always used to joke about it when I was working in school that the things that we don't talk about in schools are the things that we probably need to be speaking the most about mm -hmm. um, and the things that I find myself talking about the majority of the time outside of the outside you, of the office. You and I have a running list of these types uh, of topics where I think eventually that's we're going to do a lot with, with regard to either writing a book or doing some kind of program that... Yeah. that focuses on the areas, um, you know, with regard to school and learning that, uh, you know, are, are not covered in school and those, gap. you know, those gaps need to be filled in. Mm -hmm. I think, um, this is definitely one of them. Yeah. Definitely. So th that, that's like one of my, one of my go-to strategies of what, like the, the five love languages. Um, because it, like I said, it sort of, it opens up people to be able to both do like self-reflective of being able to sort of Maybe how they've been thinking they like to receive love hasn't actually been what how they wanted, and maybe they, they they thought they needed to hear it, but actually they needed to get gifts or acts yeah. of service or yeah. whatever it was, and it um, it helps to sort of just strengthen yourself, and then 
again, we talked about the I versus the we, but so it helps you to understand like, what do I need? Mm -hmm. And then it sort of helps to translate of like, okay, what do we need? And what does my, what does my spouse or partner need in that same type of thing? And it just kind of, it, it really helps bring a really helpful, healthy, productive conversation into, into the room. No, totally. And I think it it speaks to how important it is to be self-aware, but then also ask important questions to get feedback and information from your partner so that you're aware of their needs too. Mm -hmm. And I often like, I don't do couples work anymore, but often when I'm working with a, with a young guy who's having some relationship challenges, I will explain these to that, to that, to him. And then I'll ask him to usually bring in his partner. It's not like a couples therapy session, but it's just one session to help them communicate, understand these and I'll have them rank, right? They'll rank Mm -hmm. their own in terms Mm -hmm. of how they prefer to receive it each. And then when they hear each other talk about that, they're like, oh, that makes total sense. And it it allows you to kind of hone in on like, what are the top two that my partner needs? And if those aren't the ones that I need, that's when it starts to click. And then it sets the tone for, all right, moving forward, we have to we have to behave in a way that's through the lens of what they're, how they prefer to receive love a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It takes, so relationships are, are just not always like a, a, you know, it's not just totally natural. Sometimes you have to work at it a little bit and, and it's worth it. Mm-hmm. I also think one thing that, that stands out sometimes is that not only is it important to identify which, you know, what your order of top five is, you know, what's your number one love language, maybe top two, top three. It's also important to identify why your four and five are there because I think that sometimes ties into upbringing and family dynamics. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like let's say you had a parent who like, you know, demanded acts of service at all times from you or something like that. Mm-hmm. That might be number five, not just number five, like it's not your most important. You might loathe it, right? It might You might hate it. And if you hate it and your partner loves it, that could lead to a discrepancy yeah. because they want it, but you're like so averse to giving it because of what your experience was growing up mm-hmm. or something like like the stuff like that can happen. Um, and so I think it's also sometimes I like to cover that too with clients to to point out any of those because those could be kind of like you know little issues waiting to explode a little bit. Yeah, it bring, that brings up a good point of like a, a good exercise of like opposite thinking. So like, what do I want? What do I don't yeah, yeah. want? Yep, right. Yep, I think yep. so. It's a good example of when yeah. to use that. Absolutely. So. We're going to wrap up a little bit. I have a few uh, kind of, you know, one-off suggestions I have like for the relationship side um, of things. You know, one is it, getting into a, a relationship can't be about filling a personal void. You know, you really have to be the driver of your own well-being and your own, you know, happiness, quote unquote. Um, because if you're looking for someone else to, to, to provide that, that might happen initially, but it's, it's not going to sustain long term. Um, because they're an individual too, and, and they have other things going on. Again, we talked about the I and the we. It can't mm-hmm. just be about them feeding your I. You know, yeah. it has to be it has to be a mutual thing, and you have to be able to drive your own well being and happiness. Uh, on that note, happy, quote unquote, happy is not. I think it's important for people to to recognize that. I mean, everyone's definition of happiness is different, mm-hmm. but happy is not the same as joy, and it's also not the same as pleasure. Yeah, I think you have to know the difference between those three things. You know, happiness, in my opinion, it's my definition. I think, but it's more of like a. a a general state of mind, a state of contentment with your uh, knowing your strengths and weaknesses and accepting yourself and understanding the landscape of your life and being content with that. Mm-hmm. That to me is what happiness is. It's not joy. Joy is an emotion, which is kind of like it doesn't happen all the time. I think right. we, we are brought up to think that having a happy life means feeling joy at all times. Mm-hmm. And that's not actually realistic. That's not what human no. life is like. It's never going to be that way. Joy comes, sadness comes. They are very much flip sides of the same coin and they very much need to be in balance, right? You talk mm-hmm. about polarity management. That's what yeah. kind of comes to mind. Yep. Life has joy and what gives it joy is the sadness that also comes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, pleasure. I think a lot of people, when they think about being happy, they want to find joy. When they think about joy, they think about how do I get pleasure? Mm-hmm. And they don't even realize they're doing it. And this is through like uh, sex at times. It's through substance use. It can through be, uh, be through porn viewing. It can mm-hmm. be through a lot of different things. 
that pleasure is not the same as happiness. Uh, right. It's temporary chemical release. It's a, right. that, that's a different thing. So that kind of comes to mind. Uh, compromise is obviously key in relationships. I think that's self-explanatory, <laughs> but you got to meet uh, in the middle. And then I, I encourage people to remove ego. So people aim the rawest emotion at, at the people that in their life they trust the most, right? It, it means they can be vulnerable around you, right? Mm-hmm. And if they're trusting you enough to be that vulnerable and aim the rawest emotion, even when they go too far because people have their moments, if you have your ego in, in front, you're going to take that personally 10 out of 10 times and you're not going to really understand what they're actually going through and be able to support them. So it doesn't mean you, you can't advocate for yourself, but you got to remove the ego so that when when a person uh, aims their raw emotion at you that you're in a couple with because they trust you and love you the most and you're the safest person for them, you got to be able to view it through that lens, mm-hmm. not take it personally. So those are my four little tidbits. Yeah, that's always the hardest one like uh, that I find is like removing the defensiveness and the ego from the conversations mm-hmm. is always really, really hard um, because we are always usually like on guard to protect yeah, ourselves. Yeah. Our brains are just wired that way and it's always really hard. Um, I always make the joke of like I went to, th- to school for three years extra to learn how to listen. Mm-hmm. But it really is an, like a very difficult skill to learn yeah. how to do and I think that if people can learn – know bring more of that you know we call it active listening um as an exercise of like hearing somebody all the way through i think Mm -hmm. that that sort of just fosters a safer place where if they are feeling raw or they are feeling they need that that they know that they can be vulnerable and not and not have to deal with fighting through someone's defensiveness or ego to get themselves heard i think that's that's the work that is sort of ongoing and continuous for relationships because that's what builds that strong foundation that whatever I'm experiencing, whatever I'm going through, you are a person I can come to and not have to worry about judgment or ego or defensiveness or any of those types of things. And that's hard. That's hard work at sometimes, but that's what, that's what, that's what it requires for, for relationships to grow. Yeah. And it's also what's important for people to be in a good place with regard to their own mental health. Cause we talk about, you know, all the time about the importance of, especially for guys, the importance of vulnerability, Mm -hmm. right? You have to have that trust with the people in your life especially if you're in a relationship, to be able to be vulnerable without getting attacked for that or have it be viewed, taken personally or that kind of thing. If you're struggling with mental health and you open up to your partner and one of those four kind of negative things that we talked about earlier, the four horsemen is kind of put into play, you're not going to trust that you can open up, not just to that person, but in general anymore, especially guys. It's like if if guys are willing to be vulnerable enough to give it a shot to open up and that that gets a negative reaction from the people that they trust, forget about it. It's never happening again, at least for a very long time. So it's it's important for the relationship growth, like you said, John, but it's also important for their individual wellness and mental health. I agree. Usually, we ask people to subscribe on YouTube. We're gonna, we still want you to, but uh, we are pretty proud of the fact that we got 200 subscribers. Yeah, um, finally, finally. So you can uh, subscribe on YouTube. Reach out to us on, on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Jotham L I C S W, and on Instagram at Jotham Busfield. My Instagram, I try to, uh, you know, we we post IGTV videos of from the podcast. I like to give people palate cleansers of, of some husky pictures, there right? You go. Okay, yep, so absolutely. who doesn't like dogs? First of all, okay, yeah. If you don't like dogs, red flag, <laughs> major red flag. Don't follow me. Right, get out of my life, okay? If, if and if you don't like huskies, I mean, that's like I mean, yeah. they're like they're just kind of special types of. I mean, all dogs are special, but huskies are awesome, and they're pretty fun to look at. Let's face it, right? So absolutely. Um, they can be a, a bit of a chore to, to actually have one, but to look at from a from a photo standpoint, very entertaining. So check us out, uh, John. Where you're on Instagram? Yep, John B Cuna, um, and you can go on there and follow. I I post some stuff, but you're gonna see a little bit of my kids as well. But that uh, you know, so that's okay. It's cute. Who doesn't, yeah. like, who doesn't like cute kids? Uh, absolutely. Uh, your kids uh, are so. absolutely adorable. For sure. <laughs> uh, so, so that's John B C U N H A for anyone listening out there. 
And one other reminder, we put all the helpful information and links that we described in this episode in the show notes and on our website at grimdrive.com. So we'll definitely put some links in there about the five love languages and about the other article about the four horsemen uh, in a relationship, that kind of thing. I want to thank everyone for listening to the Grim Drive podcast for this discussion about Julie and Zach Ertz and relationships, the Ertz and relationships. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about, I think, David Beckham in OCD. We're going to see. It might yep. be Shane Larkin in OCD, but yep. uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thanks.